Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Melanie Bergman, a gynecologic oncologist from Spokane, Washington, and today we're discussing cervical and ovarian cancers. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Well, let's get started by welcoming our guest, Dr. Bergman. Thanks for coming back. Hi, Mary. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm flattered that people want to hear more about gynecologic issues. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know we had you on before, but if you wouldn't mind, for those who are, are new to listening to this, would you describe your, polar, or your role at Providence for us? Sure. Um, I'm a gynecologic oncologist, uh, so I take care of cancers, precancers, or things that a gynecologist may not know exactly um, how to deal with or if it's complicated um, of things that are below the belt. So the uterus, the ovaries, the gynecologic organs, um, and any prevention or management of precancer things. Well, I know that last time you were here, we talked about cervical and ovarian cancer, and today we're going to focus on HPV. So let's talk a little bit about what is HPV, how common is it? Yeah. Um, we all know what viruses are. Of course, we're in the pandemic, and so uh, it's actually become a little bit more awareness of what a virus is. So human papillomavirus, which we call HPV, is a virus that is transmitted skin to skin, mostly sexually, and it causes a lot of abnormalities, precancers, uh, conditions, and worst case scenario cancers um, in both men and women, but of course my expertise is in the women um, for gynecologic cancers. So that's what we're gonna focus on today. But human papillomavirus is what we are referring to as HPV. And what, what are the most common kind of cancers then that result from having HPV? Um, so gynecologically, and, and I'll focus on that because um, the urologists and head and neck surgeons would be dealing with the male components. Um, but for females, cervical cancer is the number one. Um, and then associated is vulvar, vaginal, and anal. So anything in the skin area um, or what's called squamous um, of the gynecologic parts can be affected by the HPV virus. And those are cancers that are resulting from that virus. But there's also a whole host of precancers, which we refer to as dysplasia. Um, so we'll touch upon that a little bit. Talk to me about why HPV causes cancer. Oh, you're going to make me go back to basic science. Um, so the virus, and we don't know 100% of the biology of this, but, but we have a good idea. The virus gets into the cells that are in these 
gynecologic organs. And the longer the virus is present in the cells, the more likely is that the cells are going to become worse and worse as far as abnormal. And, and that's the term that I use called dysplasia. Dysplasia means abnormal cells. And how bad the dysplasia is, is really related to how long it's been there and how thick or how deep it gets through the entire surface of the skin. And once it crosses down under the basal cells or what we call the basement membrane, let, let me use an analogy because this is getting too geeky. Um, if you had um, uh, a house and there was something that went wrong in the upper level of the house, as long as it doesn't cross through into the floor and the lower level of the house, it's probably going to be more manageable than if it starts kind of invading. And HPV causes cancer once it invades through the uh, deep level of the skin or the epithelium. Um, and if it's above the uh, basement membrane or, or the division between the deep cells and the superficial cells, then it's just kind of precancer or dysplasia and it's managed a little bit differently. So HPV can cause all of these precancers or dysplasia and also lead to invasive cancer. I wish we knew why some patients got cancer and some patients are able to clear the vac the virus, not the vaccine, the virus. Um, but um, th that's part of the uh, unknown of the virus. Okay, I got to jump in here because I have to know, you, you've talked a little bit about the spread and you, the, is it in the subfloor or not? Does it matter how early you detect it, right? And I, partly I want to know this because, you know, with COVID, we've seen that people aren't going in for their annual exams, they're not getting their screenings, we're having later detection. How important is it to catch HPV early and does it matter how long you have it as to what your outcome is? Okay, um, HPV is so um, well spread in the community that um, when the original studies were done before the vaccine was uh, created, oh, and of course, that's the punchline to later on, there is a vaccine for this. So let's put that out there now because I don't want people to hear this and, and turn the podcast off and say, well, I don't want to hear more about this. It's a doom and gloom. Um, what we're going to get to is everything I'm describing is preventable. So if you get the vaccine to HPV, you won't have these things that we're going to be talking about. Okay. Um, so that said, HPV in the community in, let's say, college-age women, which is when the studies were started before the vaccine was out, 80% of college-age women had already been exposed to HPV. Wow. Now, in, yeah, that's huge. That's a um, lot. And yeah, and men carry HPV too. So um, I'm going to use an analogy or kind of an another virus that we're all more familiar with. You know what a cold sore is, right, Mary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a cold sore is a virus. It's HSV, herpes simplex virus. And you know that when you are you know, 13 or, or whatever age, all of a sudden a cold sore will pop out on your lip. The question is, where did you get that virus from? Because you got it from somewhere. And who knows, maybe 
your aunt kissed you when you were a baby because you were super cute and she passed the virus to you, but it's considered dormant or latent where it's just kind of lurking in your system. You don't even know you have it. But when your immune system is compromised or when you get stressed, you're pulling an all-nighter for college, all of a sudden the cold sore comes out on your lip. That's because the virus was in your system, but it's not always manifesting in the lesion, the cold sore. Um, so HPV does that too. You can catch HPV from skin-to-skin -skin contact, and of course this is genitals, so usually has some sort of sexual um, uh, encounter. And you have HPV and you don't know you have it. There's no symptoms of getting it. You don't get a fever, uh, there's no sores or anything that develop. Um, it's caught when you go to the gynecologist for a screening exam. And of course, we know that screening exams for cervix cancer are pap smears. So it would be caught on a pap smear or now, which is um, kind of a higher level of standard of care, we're doing HPV typing. So we'll take a swab, the gynecologist will do a swab or, or family doctor and see what strain or type of HPV you might be carrying. That matters too, right? I'm going to go ahead and just say it because I think there's a stigma around HPV and I've had it or have it. Who knows? Sometimes they tell me I do, sometimes they don't. But now they tell me which kind I have and that matters as to whether I may or may not get cancer or what kind of cancer, right? Because aren't there like a ton of different strains? Yes, there are, I want to say 70 or so, and don't ask me to name them, I, I can't, <laughs> so, but um, so, uh, and what you just said is exactly what puzzles patients is sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't have it. Well, do I or don't I? I mean, it, it's very frustrating. Um, number one, it is not something that people should be ashamed of. It is so rampant and just like you can have a cold sore, you shouldn't be ashamed that you have a cold sore. Um, it, it's something that is a virus and causes a skin problem. Um, so I consider this a skin problem. The skin happens to be the vagina, the vulva and the cervix um, or the anus, but um, that's where it, it likes to um, attack, so to speak. The virus strains that are the, what is considered high risk are the ones that are in the vaccine that we have. So the biggest risk vaccine, uh, virus strains are 16 and 18. So HPV 16 and 18 would be considered high risk. Also six and 11 can be considered high risk. And then there's some other strains that are in the, the new nine strain vaccine that we have that they don't necessarily cause cancer, but they cause precancer. Precancer is just as frustrating as cancer is. It's less life-threatening, but I, as a gynecologic oncologist, I must do eight procedures a week on dysplasia or precancer. So if we could prevent people from getting the strains that cause definitely cancer, but also the precancer, it would cause a lot less um, stigma of 
this procedure that you have to have that you don't want to talk about in the office. Who wants to go to the office and bring a note from their doctor saying, I have to have something done to my, you know, vulva. They don't say that to their boss. Um, <laughs> and so it kind of gets shoved under the rug because yeah. you don't want to say that. But um, it, it's not anything people should be um, worried about as far as. Did, did you just say a new strain? Like, are we, are we talking like, you know, COVID where we get a new strain every six months. Did you say we have a new no, strain? no, okay. no, no, no new strains. But um, so the when the vaccines were um, created, initially the vaccines were created against 16 and 18 because those are the worst, uh, most um, cancer causing strains. And then technology got a little bit better and they included four different strains in the vaccine. And now the vaccine encompasses nine strains of HPV. So the the newest vaccine not only covers the really high risk ones for cancer, but it also covers the ones that cause the dysplasia or precancer. And although those aren't as life threatening, they can be very um, disfiguring, um, you have to go through procedures. Um, it, it's very frustrating to have something that causes harm down in your genitals. No. Doesn't it's not cancer, so you can't you know say, oh, I'm getting cancer treatment. But you have to go through procedures, take time off of work, and it's kind of hush hush. I mean, people just don't want to um, disclose that to their their non close friends and family. So um, it's it's very. I, I keep using the word frustrating. Um, yeah. I tell my patients it's it's not life threatening, um, but it's a nuisance. I, I hate that I have to do procedure after procedure for something that we have a vaccine for. It's you know what I'm gonna like I hit the jackpot right. I think I had 16, 18, six, and I want to say like 33. I don't know. I had like I had four big ones because I ended up with what you talked about, right? Like I had precancer and then it turned out that I had cancer and I had colposcopies. I had all these different things and it's, it, you're right. Like, I'm not going to say, Oh, Hey, I'm having my VJJ worked on today. Right. So there right. is kind of this weird thing. <laughs> just like I'm going to be out for a day or so. But I do think we'll need to really take into consideration the vaccine because, you know, I'm in my forties and it didn't exist when I was young, but I tell all my friends to let their daughters get on it. And of course there's always that, well, what if, does that mean they think it's okay to have sex? I don't care. I don't care what they think it means at this point in time. It's so much better than having to go through this because almost every single one of my friends right now has had HPV at one point in time. And we've all gone through this. And every year you get your pap smear, you wonder, am I going to have to go back in? Am I gonna, you know what I mean? It's just, it's exhausting. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so when I see patients, I've been practicing here in my current location for 20 years. I have patients that I have done procedures on operated on six times over the time that I've known them for HPV related diseases. Um, in fact, I'm kind of not on my A game this morning because at three in the morning, I got a phone call from a hospital that has an HPV related cancer and the woman needs urgent care. And so we'll coordinate things, but this is not something that is uh, unusual. Um, it's something that is seen day to day um, all over the country, all over the world. Um, Africa has a, an enormously high rate of HPV. Um, but the great news is we have a vaccine. So um, let's talk about that for a, a minute or two. 
I would love to. I was going to ask you, like, let's talk about how effective it is. Are there side effects? I mean, what what are what are the things you want people to know about the vaccine? Yeah. So, again, we want to prevent you from ever having to know me professionally. So if there's a vaccine that prevents you from needing a cancer doctor, it's a no brainer, in my opinion. Um, so the vaccine is um, approved, uh, FDA approved for boys and girls. And that's important to um, vaccinate the men. And it's the youngest age it's approved for is nine. Um, the American College of OBGYN and some pediatric um, societies recommend getting it around 11 or 12. And it's approved up to 26 initially, and that's been recently expanded to age 45. So the whole range is 9 to 45, men and women. Wow. Um, yeah, huge. Um, you encounter HPV with your first sexual exposure. And we don't expect children to have a first sexual exposure at 10 or 12. But if you give it to them, they're protected kind of indefinitely. The, the data shows that um, the effectiveness does not wear off over time. And you don't even have to bring up the fact that it's sexually associated. Um, if you give a child a hepatitis vaccine, which we know we have to give them for school, right? Isn't hepatitis B um, a required vaccine for school? Most places, I think, yeah. I think it is. Um, so hepatitis B is spread by IV drugs, okay? Just because we give our kids the hepatitis B vaccine doesn't mean we're encouraging them to do IV drugs. We don't even tell them what it's for. We tell them it's a shot to prevent, prevent disease. They, they just need it. So you can give a shot to prevent cancer and not have to have a discussion with your child that it's about something sexually transmitted. I would just say it's a cancer shot. Um, and if we vaccinate the children at age, you know, 10 to 12, the next generation won't have to have dysplasia. They won't have to have procedures for dysplasia. And the procedures that I traditionally do um, are laser. I have to burn people's, uh, how did you call it? Vajayjay? The Vajayjay, yeah. <laughs> the Vajayjay. I have to burn those parts. And that that's just a painful experience. It's very effective and it works and it prevents cancer. But I just hate that people have to go through something like that. Um, hysterectomies are often performed for dysplasia that doesn't go away. And ultimately, of course, cancer. We never want it to get to cancer. So if you have HPV and you haven't been vaccinated and that's why you have these sequelae, if we can catch it when it is in the precancer or the dysplasia phase, then hopefully it'll never become cancer. Well, talk to me about this, because I know that there's a lot of anti-vaxxers out there in general. So let's just say somebody comes in and they're not willing to get the vaccine. What, are, what other recommendations do you give people to avoid HPV? Oh, that's tough. Um, condoms do decrease HPV exposure, but it doesn't prevent it because um, it can be from skin. So skin touching skin um, can share HPV. Um, oral transmission of HPV 
um, exists. And um, this is a really important one. And I, I can't believe that we're how many minutes into the podcast and I didn't bring it up. But I don't want to be too preachy. <laughs> um, smoking. So smoking 100% exacerbates HPV and causes the HPV to linger in cells longer than uh, the natural immune system would clear it. So people who smoke and have HPV are ha at a double danger of this persisting, becoming okay. dysplasia. Yeah. The um, so on a on a nerdy level, the HPV tar or the um, HPV targets the E6 E7 DNA region in a cell and. Uh, nicotine or smoking or the chemicals in tobacco paralyze that area and it doesn't allow the body to clear the HPV from that region and the longer the HPV is in a cell the more likely it is to um, get through that basement membrane and become malignant so uh, smoking that um, yeah makes it much much worse and so you know when I see a patient and I do a laser on their skin, on their vulva or vagina, and they're a smoker, if they keep smoking, I'm going to need to do a tune-up again in a couple of years. It'll just come right back and, and manifest itself again. Um, if we have the kids vaccinated when they're 11 to 12, they will never have to go through that because it is greater than 90% effective in preventing the dysplasias that require treatment. It doesn't prevent all dysplasia or low-grade changes, but it prevents the one that require treatment, and it prevents the ones that become cancer, and that's most important. Okay, Dr. B, one of the things I want to know, though, is like, is this a one-time shot? I get it once in my life, and I never have to have again. Are there boosters for it? Does it lose effectiveness? Talk to me, talk me through that. There is a schedule that is guided for the HPV uh, vaccine. Um, for Children that are younger, they have a more robust immune system. And so if you're from age 9 to 15, we recommend that you get two doses. And the first dose is considered time zero. And then the second dose should be somewhere between 6 and 12 months later. The um, children who are 15 and older um, need three doses. And we recommend the schedule to be at zero which is the first dose, and then one to two months later, and then six months later. Um, and that's a little bit of the thought between why 11 to 12 is a good age, because those patients really would benefit from two doses and not have to have the third one. Um, I think losing patients to follow up or, you know, if they're, they don't come back or they forget and they don't get the full series of vaccines, there is really good data that two does um, give you good protection. Um, three is better if you're over the age of 15, though. And so, got it. There's a series. Ideally, you get the whole thing. Does it lose effectiveness or do I need it later in life? Or if I just get those two slash three when I'm younger, I'm done? Yep. That's what we know of so far is that it, it is a lifetime. But, you know, I guess time will tell. Um, uh, if most people, when they are exposed to HPV, here's a statistic that might be interesting. With the first sexual encounter of um, a, a woman, she is 29% likely to get HPV from one sexual encounter. Those are not great odds. 
that's really big. Yeah. Um, and then by the time you've had three encount three years of encounters, you're up to 50%. I mean, at this point in time, you're as a woman specifically, I think you're going to get it if you haven't had the vaccine, that's in, unless you're like, I don't know, living in a convent. But I, I guess my question kind of is, do you have to like screen to make sure I don't have it before I get the vaccine, which I understand with 11 or 12 year olds, you're hopeful, you're hopeful that they haven't had any sort of an encounter. But is there any problem if you give me the vaccine, but I already have it? Actually, um, that's a great question. So there, there's good data on that. You don't screen 11, 12 year olds, boys, girls, you, they, you just give them the vaccine whether they've had any exposure, I, I hope not, um, but you don't have to do any screening. Um, the current recommendation for starting pap smear screening is at 21. So anybody under the age of 21 hasn't even had a pap smear. Even if they've had sexual encounters, you still don't need a pap smear before the age of 21. Um, so you get your vaccine and hopefully that uh, confers um, protection for dysplasia and cancer in the future, and you don't have to do anything else. So, um, you know, it's really easy to incorporate it into the childhood vaccines that we do for schools. Um, right now, it's not a mandatory vaccine, which makes me really sad because it prevents cancer. Um, but I do understand that that some people have uh, some hesitancy over vaccinating their, their children for things that they may not come in contact with. But that statistic of 29% um, exposure with the first sexual encounter is, to me, that's not good odds for not receiving the vaccine. That's a double negative, but you know what I mean? No, I gotcha. Are, <laughs> is there anyone that shouldn't get it? Like any type of person that shouldn't be getting the vaccine? Or, or no, any well, that you should know about? Um, no, unless you're allergic to the uh, vaccine ingredients. And, you know, as a cancer doctor, I'm going to bail on that question because I don't know what the vaccine is made from. Um, I don't actually administer the vaccine, which is good because um, the primary care and, and people have more exposure to the primary care doctors than the gynecologic oncologist. So once you see me, it's probably too late for the vaccine. I would love, though, for everybody to get it and then not have to come and have procedures done and see me. Um, but there's nobody that shouldn't. Um, Breastfeeding uh, women, it is um, okay to receive the vaccine. If you're currently pregnant, you should probably postpone the vaccine until after delivery. Um, there have been a few studies looking at pregnant women who received the vaccine accidentally because they didn't know they were pregnant, and there doesn't seem to be any uh, adverse reactions to the baby or to her, but uh, we don't recommend getting it when you're known actively, actively known pregnant. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because I, I actually, one of my friends asked me this, she's like, well, what are the symptoms for HPV? What are the signs? How do I know I have it? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know until I had my pap smear results. Like, are there symptoms or is it strictly something you're going to find in a, in a screening? Uh, there are no symptoms of HPV per se. There are symptoms of dysplasia. Uh, that's a full two minute talk. Um, but you wouldn't know that you have HPV until you have a 
change or sequelae from it, meaning dysplasia showing, showing up on a pap smear, showing up as a vulvar lesion, showing up as a wart. A wart is actually low-grade dysplasia. By definition, a vulvar genital wart, penile wart, is considered HPV. It's the low-risk strains, and those are included in the um, nine-strain vaccine. Um, the but it's still, yeah, mm -hmm. it, they call it the Nona virus. Oh, <laughs> so. okay. You get Nona for nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, if let's just say I, I've had the vaccine, am I basically a hundred percent? I mean, no, I know nothing's a hundred percent, but is it very unlikely then that I would spread HPV after that point? If, uh, let me clarify the question. So if you've been vaccinated, mm -hmm. no, I, wouldn't then, get well, I wouldn't spread it. Right. But right. People, correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. But what if I had right. HPV and then I got the vaccine, could I then potentially spread it or cause it, you can't unget it. Can you? No. Once you have a strain of HPV, you can't right now we would be it there are studies trying to eradicate it but right now once you have a strain you're stuck with it um, the vaccine will prevent the remaining strains if you haven't been exposed to them so let's say you've been exposed to hpv 16 and you get the vaccine, you would now be protected from uh, 18, uh, 6, 11, and, and the other ones that are in there. But you, once you have already exposed to the one strain, um, it's in your system. Okay, I'm a little frustrated by this because I was told once you had <laughs> HPV, you couldn't get the vaccine. And so I just keep, you know, rolling along there. I feel like I could have had this vaccine a while ago. Maybe things have uh, changed because it's yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah. There is, there's logic to receiving the vaccine to prevent the other strains that you haven't been exposed to. Um, so we do recommend that if you have dysplasia and low-grade things, once you have cancer, it, it's kind of a moot point. But if you're having pre-cancer things, um, or if you're young and your body is clearing the vac the virus, I keep substituting the word virus and vaccine, so I apologize. Um, but if you've been exposed and you get the vaccine, it'll prevent the other strains from um, getting into your system. So it's wise to, and we don't screen. That's why if you have a 25-year-old who has a bad pap smear and who hasn't had the vaccine, we still recommend getting her immunized. No, that makes perfect sense. It's just, there's so much that goes into this. And I, I just feel like people really need to understand, like, it's, I don't, I don't want to like make it a stigma, right? Cause it's not, and it's not a death sentence because obviously I've, I've had, you know, masses removed the whole nine yards. It's very survivable. But at the end of the day, if I had known back when I was 12 years old, I could get a vaccine that would prevent me from getting cancer in the future, which I got, heck yeah, I'd take it. I can't imagine That's a world where I wouldn't. No, I know. It, it makes no logical sense to me why you would say don't get a preventative. It's, it's so simple, a preventative vaccine that prevents not only cancer, but 
many procedures that are very uncomfortable um, and also social circumstances that you don't want to like disclose this to somebody that you're going to start dating that, you know, well, I've had this precancer thing and maybe you could get it and spread it to somebody else, which is why if men or boys are vaccinated as well, then you don't have to worry about passing it to a male partner who's then going to pass it to another female partner or male partner. Yeah, because you can't trust somebody to tell you. You know what I mean? It's not, well, they may not know. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they, yeah, they, they have no awareness. So, <laughs> Well, I can personally tell you I've had like the ablation. That's not comfortable. None of it's comfortable. I mean, nobody nobody really wants people in their vajayjay more than you need them in there. But it's totally preventable. And if you told me <laughs> that there was a vaccine I could get that would stop breast cancer, I'd be in line for that one too. You know what I mean? Like it just I, seems yeah. a brainer to me. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm almost out of time, Doc. But what did we not cover that you want people to know? Like, what's the one thing you want them to walk away from this this uh, interview knowing? Oh boy. Um, let's see. Um, I, I think that really the awareness and the knowledge and education that the vaccine doesn't just prevent cancer. I, I think that's a misnomer. I think people say, well, I'm not going to get cervix cancer or, or they'll look at the incidence of cervix cancer and say, cervix cancer isn't as um, a high incidence in the U.S. as what they're mistakenly thinking would be harm from the vaccine. So when you have people who are resistant to taking vaccines, it's because they're balancing the potential benefit versus what they perceive as risk. And if they perceive the vaccine as something that could harm them, and they say, well, I'm not at risk, I'm not going to get cervical cancer, cervical cancer risk is pretty low. I would like to interject that it's not just cancer that causes harm to them. It's the dysplasia and the precancerous situations, which are day in, day out, things that I treat, like I said, about six or eight a week. And that's probably on the low side. I have lots more that I'm following that aren't having active procedures. But the vaccine will prevent those things, those dysplastic situations. And it's not just cervical cancer that you want to prevent. Um, and then uh, oral things, um, oral head and neck cancers in men, um, that's actually a whole different talk that you can have a above the belt guest for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We might bring you back on that one too. I, I do, I do. I'm going to just, because I've, I'm, like I said, I've bared it all out there. I'm really going to reiterate what you just said, because yes, curing cancer or preventing cancer is huge, but I have to go in every six months and get a pap smear. And then every time they get a result and I have to go get a colposcopy. And then half the time I have to go back in for some other sort of a procedure. So even if it's just the fact that every six months I've got to make a day appointment and then like, it's just a lot, it's a lot and it's exhausting and it's worrisome, right? Because every time I have to wait for my report to come in, I have to wait for my doctor to call me. Like I just, that's, it's, it's, it's so unnecessary. And I think that would be the one thing I would say is yes, preventing cancer is huge, but also just the mundane fact of having to take your clothes off and put your legs up in the stirrups every six months for something that was totally preventable. Go get your vaccine. That's all I'm going to say. I agree. I wholeheartedly. And one of my um, phrases that I use commonly, and because women have to come to see me and they, like you said, have to take their pants off. I always say, let's have these conversations with your pants on. 
<laughs> yeah, I love it. I would so much rather have coffee with you than yeah. <laughs> Right, right. So these things come up and, and I hate to preach, and but, but um, people think better when they have pants on. So let's do prevention rather than waiting until you have something wrong. And then you're sitting in the room and I have to talk to you with your pants off. I love it. I love every <laughs> conversation I have with you. Not only do I learn a lot, but I laugh a lot. And those are the best conversations. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Bergman, for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer and to everyone for listening. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.